Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? I have been thinking about Hawaii, very specifically about the fact that Hawaii is technically a colony of the United States of America, but it's never really talked about. And very recently, I've been seeing a lot of things on social media where Native Hawaiians have asked and pleaded for tourists to stop visiting, specifically now. And they cited various reasons, amongst them failing infrastructure and, of course, COVID. So, yes, this week I've been thinking about Hawaii. What does it mean that Hawaii is technically still a colony in this day and age? And what does it mean when people visit places purely for the aesthetic without any respect for the native inhabitants of that place and the environment? Wow, that's a lot of different topics. So yeah, during Corona times, a lot of people have obviously been traveling, they're doing home office, they're going to different places. And we've had kind of similar complaints from different people. I remember in England, you know, everyone was going to Scotland or these really remote places to get away from COVID and all the local population were like, don't bring COVID here from the cities, that doesn't make any sense. And then like you were saying, the thing about people going to places just for the picture or for social media or because they've seen it on social media is now become a massive problem. So because of geotagging in photographs, people can now see where that photograph was taken and what used to be like this unknown location or known only to the locals is now there for the whole world to be like, I want to go there. And they're all going there. It's like the Horseshoe Bend in Colorado. They've gone recently because of social media and you can see this through the searches on Google, that they've gone from a few thousand a year visitors to 1.5 million. And so now they're really trying to build the infrastructure to deal with all these tourists, because first of all, four people have died just taking pictures off there. And then also they bring their trash, they trample over the landscape. And these things take millions of years to develop, and we can destroy them with the humans in a really fast amount of time. So now they're building a car park, toilets for visitors. They're putting limestone stones across the edges of the park, which is in line with the normal kind of regulations of how to protect the nature around certain sites. And normally with national parks, they've already got these restrictions in place. But a lot of these new places that people are going to are just outside the jurisdiction of national parks and things like that. And it takes years to build up, but people are going. And yeah, Hawaii, Hawaii tourism obviously has gone up in the local population, like you said. It's not good for them, the tourism right now. And also what's really interesting when I started looking at Hawaii is we have this amazing picture of Hawaii as a tourist destination. Good vibes only, surfers, beaches, everything's super cool. But it has a really, really dark history, Hawaii. Yeah, so the first non-Polynesian person to arrive in Hawaii was James Cook in 1779, and he actually at first referred to it as Sandwich Island after the Earl of Sandwich, which I'm like so thankful that didn't catch on because that's a silly name, Sandwich Island. 
After his arrival and the early British influences, which can be seen in the state flag, there was an influx of European and North American explorers and traders. And obviously, this led to problems because they had been an isolated island. So with them, they brought disease that decimated a large population of the island. Hawaii became unified and an internationally recognized kingdom in 1810, and it remained independent until Western businessmen overthrew the monarchy in 1893, which then led it to being annexed by the United States in 1898. It became an official state, or, you know, apparently joined the Union in 1959, and it wasn't actually until 1993 that the U.S. government formally apologized for its role in overthrowing the Hawaiian government which has led to a rise in the Hawaiian sovereignty movement. Yes, yeah, so there's this fascinating documentary on YouTube that anyone can watch. It's called Hawaii, the Stolen Paradise. And it goes into the whole history of Hawaii, which is super fascinating. I never knew that the history stretches back to 100 BC. I mean, just imagine. And the Polynesians were coming over, they think, from... Well, they called them people of Kakiki, who they think came all the way with boats from Tahiti or the Marqueses. And they were doing like two-way voyaging for quite a while. But then by the 12th, 13th century, they were definitely settled. They settled into a stratified society. They unified all the seven islands and had a monarchy. Yeah, it was quite politically and socially advanced, actually. And like you say, after even the Europeans came, the North Americans came, they were recognized as a sovereign island. They were fully independent nation that had their own systems and everything. But then, because of the American businessmen who were coming, they were getting more power politically. They even managed to bribe everyone in power to make a law that was, you couldn't vote if you were native Hawaiian, if you weren't a landowner. So anyway, this badass woman called Lily Okalani, who everything about her I love, she saw this happening and she became the queen. And when she was queen, she was Hawaii's first queen, actually, she decided, she looked at the constitution, she was like, no, 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 no. This is how it works. We're going to do a thing where only native Hawaiians can vote, right? Because those are the interests, otherwise foreign interests are being represented massively and it's not in the interests of the people or the culture there. So she decided to pass this law, as was her right, she was in charge. These American businessmen basically did a coup and they got the American military involved too. They had the support of the American politics because Hawaii has always been, and everyone saw this really early on, the Japanese the British and the North Americans, it's strategically placed where it is, militarily. So they basically came in, they arrested her, they locked her up in the bedroom suite of her palace for months on end, and while she was locked up there, she weaved an entire tapestry telling her story, and she composed a lot of songs. She was a really talented composer, and one of the most famous Hawaiian songs, which is called Aloha Oe, is hers, because there are a lot of Hawaiian songs, but they weren't really written down and stuff, so she did that while she was in there. But obviously, eventually, she had to abdicate, right, because the American military force was massive, so the US just 
took over this island and they kept it because it was so valuable for them. And then they brought in the tourists and all of this sort of stuff. Not only that, they also made laws that just really diminished the culture. So all the schools now had to teach in English. Land was taken away from them. There was a lot of poverty resulting from this. In the documentary, they showed one guy's like, yeah, there's a massive Walmart on sacred land where we've buried our ancestors. They found 66 bones and we had to fight just to put it back into the ground. And his family has the papers that they actually own this land. Like, it's really disgusting. So when we think about Hawaii, we don't think about the absolute colonization of it. And yeah, Bill Clinton, he apologized in 1993, but he kind of apologized and what they were saying in the documentary, it was a little bit of a legal trick to try and get them to legitimize some claims of the Hawaiian natives, but so that they wouldn't ever be able to be free, which is what they want. They want to be an independent nation. They also want to be politically independent and not have a massive airbase there, like what happened at Pearl Harbor, because they're the first in line to be killed in case of any war situation, right? So they don't want this. But the US still insist that they're the 50th state, but they're not. They're a colony and they really, really want to be free. And just to put it into context, they've been fighting for this for a long time. So after the Queen abdicated and the colonizing power and government was all set up, they had a petition and 38,000 people signed it of Hawaiians. And at that point, there were only 40,000 natives of Hawaii. So they're fiercely, fiercely against this and they have their own culture. They were super independent. They had contracts and treaties with the British, with France, with over 20 nations, and nobody did anything with this illegal takeover of the country that still exists till today. It's really unjust and mind-blowing. The same is true for Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is not even considered a state. They live under the jurisdiction of the United States, but they can't vote. Like, that's mind-boggling how this form of neocolonialism is, I don't want to say is allowed to exist today, because obviously there are many forms of colonialism, and a lot of them are still prevalent today. But the fact that, like, why why is not everyone more upset about this? You know, I mean, I guess it's just proof that the world is garbage. But Hawaiian activist Huanani K. Trask, who recently just passed away, actually, on July 3rd, 2021, she was quoted in her obituary as saying, we will die as Hawaiians, we will never be Americans. And she was strongly opposed to tourism in Hawaii and the US military's presence in Hawaii. And in 2004, she actually spoke out against the Akaka Bill, a bill that established a process for Native Hawaiians to gain federal recognition similar to the recognition that some Native American tribes possess. And she felt that this bill did not do justice to Native Hawaiian peoples because it allowed the U.S. government to control Native Hawaiian governing structures, land, and resources without recognizing Hawaii as a nation of its own. And she also claimed that the hearing for this bill was being held with the intention of excluding the opinions of the native community. So yeah, poor Hawaii. Basically, all of us here in Europe and people in the United States of America, we think of Hawaii as a beautiful travel destination. As you're saying, like, we've come to associate this chillness and the beaches and, you know, being calm. That all sounds completely lovely, but that's just the face of the tourism that's sort of sold to us. That's not the reality for the native Hawaiians whose land has been stolen, whose resources 
have been extracted and taken from them. For them, it's a living nightmare. And in 2019, there were 10 million tourists in Hawaii. That is an increase of 4.5 from 2018. And they're small islands. That's so many people. And yes, I know that people always make this claim. They say like, ah, tourism is is good for these places. But that doesn't take into consideration that, sure, tourism brings in money. Great, obviously. But what does it mean when everything then starts being built for tourists? You completely eradicate the lives of the native people there, how they want to live their traditions, because then you're just building everything for these 10 million tourists that just have to come and see your paradise. So it's an ongoing kind of genocide of a culture and a people and a continuous colonialism. And then people have this audacity to have this weird savior syndrome where they're like, oh, they need our help. They're suffering because of COVID. And you're like, yeah, they probably are suffering, but they're also suffering because we're destroying their culture and their land. You can chill with the savior syndrome. They don't need to be saved more by you after we've just already destroyed them. Like, you can calm down. Yeah, the tourism is really interesting because Hawaii is now one of the most expensive places in, I would say, in the US in, in this case, but I guess they're part of the US, even if illegitimately. But 33% of families with children are living in a state of poverty. And then there are a lot of homeless people. And those homeless people, they get swept every now and then. So they're not allowed in any of the national parks, any of the beaches, any of the places where the tourists are. So in this documentary, they showed they have this little sort of village of people who lost their homes, especially, I think, due to the 2009 recession. But if they get swept from there, they were like, oh, I don't know where we're going to go. We're going to go to the mountains. They have to go to the edges of volcanoes and things like that just to find a place to be. But that's the native population. But what's really kind of shocking and interesting is everyone talks about the tourism. But actually, 18% of the GDP of Hawaii comes from the military, the military industrial complex, because they have a massive base there. They have the US Navy, Army, Air Force, everything there. And they also train people from other armies there. And they use the land and everything to, for training because they've got beaches, they've got mountains, they've got lots of space. So they go around shooting stuff, they drive their tanks along the sand, and it's really destroying the nature. So they have found in Hawaii lead, mercury, napalm, there's uranium, there's radioactive stuff there. Even worse than the tourism orders because 18% is a lot, it's more than the tourism, and it you almost can't get rid of it. I mean, do you see that the US is ever going to get rid of this base that is super strategic for them? I mean, at the same time, I love that the Hawaiians have set up this thing called the Lawful Government of Hawaii. It's just a group of Hawaiians who are organizing their own government. And it's such a strategic and well thought out way of doing things. So they've got like a legislative arm, executive arm, judiciary arm. They figured out their constitution. They're ready to go. They're fighting for full on complete independence. And that's what they want. And they're doing a lot of education to the native population about the history of Hawaii, all of this kind of stuff. It's really grassroots because they want to replace what is now 
the US-sponsored government. And it's really well organized, and they're just so... They seem so competent and calm about it, so what they've done is they've taken the constitution that existed in 1893, which was written in the original language and is super archaic, right, because it's more than 100 years old, and they've kind of updated it to a sort of constitution now. It's also considered, and it's amazing what they're doing, whether or not the US is going to give up the strategic point is a whole other question, though. I just don't think they will. But the Hawaiians are going about it as if they believe for sure that they will. And they've got an apology and they've got all these contracts and they, they're in a really strong position as opposed to the Native Americans because they've got a whole body of documents that shows that this is an illegal occupation. Plus, the US themselves have apologized. Bill Clinton himself apologized for this thing which was unlawful so they admitted it so that's how they're going about it and i really wish them a lot of luck because it's amazing work actually but do you think that an apology from the u.s an admittance of guilt is going to change anything because we all know how much america loves their military they're never going to give that up so it's kind of gross on two fronts isn't it because there's not only the exploitation for the military, and then also there's the exploitation where all these people come to visit the island and take Instagram photos, and, you know, I can imagine that with the rise of Instagram in 2010, and this is not to say that Instagram is to blame, because social media can be blamed for a lot of things, but it isn't the sole bearer of all bad things in the world, it's just made it a lot easier. I just, I can't imagine that with all of these benefits that this island has for them, that they're ever going to give it up, whether they've admitted guilt or not. Also, I don't really think that the United States government cares. Like, I honestly, regardless of whether or not they've apologized and thus admitted guilt, I don't think they care. Because who's going to check them on it? You know what I mean? Like, there's no one who's holding them accountable. The UN surely isn't. The EU surely isn't. So who's holding them accountable for... They're just going to get away with it. The same way that a lot of the West has gotten away with colonizing and genociding, if that's a word, a bunch of places. So, yeah, I just... Tourism is just, you know, a new facet of neocolonialism. And Instagram is just really heavily contributing to that. Yeah, I don't know. I see on a practical level that is going to be really difficult. But I think what the Hawaiians are doing in terms of education, bringing everyone along is really good. And that really keeps this cause and this history alive and relevant. And their activism is super good. And I think that can make a difference. It's really nice that they're still living their beliefs in some way. like. They have no land, so they've gone up to like this barren land near a volcano and set up this space where anyone can come and be educated. And they say also, like, if tourists want to come by and learn, they can do that too. They're super sort of calm and steady about how they're going about this. Obviously, they are really angry as well, but they're very constructive as well. And then also what's just, it's very hopeful in a way, the story about Lily Okalani, who died in 1917. But it's amazing that she lived her beliefs all her life, which I think is incredible. When she died, she gave all of her money to the children of Hawaii. She set up, I mean, imagine she was from the 19th century. She was way ahead of her time. She set up a bank for women. She supported education for girls. I think with these kind of voices and this kind of activism, these kind of beliefs still persisting in the face of it all, it's still something positive and 
could be very impactful, even if they don't get full independence. You know what I mean? But they're completely going for full independence. I just kind of feel like they have to be calm about it in a way, because obviously it's not in any way the same thing. But if you think about how when women react to anything angrily, they're branded as hysterical or crazy and something. And obviously it's completely different situations, but I can kind of imagine that if the native Hawaiians reacted with the justified anger that they feel towards the United States of America, I can imagine that they would be branded as aggressive and angry and, you know, not able to govern for themselves. So I feel like they have to take this approach. They have to be super calm and chill about it and use education as their tool because otherwise, you know, the media cog will just undermine their cause even more. I mean, I'm not sure. I have this theory, which is super stereotypical, but my dad is from Sri Lanka and island people, <laughs> people who are on islands. Also, my boyfriend's from Sicily. They go at a very beautiful pace. Maybe it's to do with the sea. I don't know, but it might be just a particular way of being. And also, this is a people with a very strong culture that is very old and they have certain ways of doing things that are very ingrained. And because a lot of what they're doing, like I was saying, this place near the volcano that's kind of this barren land, they did a sort of like ceremony to make it theirs, even though it's not theirs. So they have their own procedures and ways of doing things. Like they have a constitution to work from. They just taking this big history and this culture and doing things in their way and I feel like that way is super methodical compared to just different places and different things. Yeah I guess like Mark Zuckerberg just recently bought 600 acres in Hawaii for 53 million. Like when you think about the amount of people native population that live in poverty on that island and then Mark Zuckerberg has now two properties worth millions of dollars on Hawaii. That just makes you feel really gross, isn't it? In 2014, he acquired 700 acres for 100 million. And this one in particular made a lot of native Hawaiians angry. I mean, I assume that Mark Zuckerberg coming to buy any amount of property on their island would make them all very angry, rightfully so. But this particular patch of land had been granted to native Hawaiian families in the mid-1800s. So essentially, he bought something, I mean, none of it is his anyway, but he's bought something that was very specifically granted back to native Hawaiians. He says that he is prioritizing preservation efforts, but you know what would be a really great preservation effort, Mark? If you just left, if you just gave it back. One of the things that I found, I mean, the whole thing is incredibly shocking and upsetting, but the amount of trash on Hawaii, specifically trash left by tourists, it's becoming an increasing problem, as it is everywhere, but it is estimated that 15 to 20 tons of trash, 96% of which is plastic, washes ashore annually. The average guest generates 3.3 kilograms of waste per day. Can you imagine 10 million people coming to this island and then generating 3.3 kilos of trash every day and then leaving? And that brings us nicely on to our three things you can do this week to be a better person. There's a wonderful organization called Leave No Trace, the Center for Outdoor Ethics. 
they have seven principles. And the idea is that when you go somewhere, you should not leave any trace of yourself behind and ruin or change the landscape in any way. One of these principles is dispose of waste properly. Another one is leave what you find. So don't pick anything up. Don't pick flowers, rocks, all of that kind of stuff. Another one is respect wildlife. And the other one is be considerate of other visitors. Thing two, before traveling anywhere, do your research and see what the native population has to say. Listen to their advice. And if they're asking you not to come visit, listen to them. And thing three, this is a quote from our new favorite idol, Lily Okawani. Never cease to act because you fear you may fail. The true secret is to know your own worth. It will carry you through many dangers. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.